Welcome to Purifying Truths with A Star. How is everybody doing this morning? Wow, I'm so glad that you tuned in for another episode. Today, you're in for a treat. We have with us Mr. Larry Penton. For those of you who don't know Larry, he is the CEO of Penton Pennington, and he's a retired EMS worker. Welcome to Purifying Truths, Larry. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you? Wow, life is good. Life is good. So excited, ready to dive right in. Tell us a little bit about you. I am just a humble servant, as I call myself. <laughs> I am a person who is about helping my fellow mankind. I grew up in some meager surroundings from the city of St. Louis, Missouri. That's my hometown. Go Cardinals. <laughs> was raised in a single parent household. Peace and mm. blessings be upon the eternal soul of my dad, who did not raise me, but I've made peace with that. Uh, wow. He bore five children. I'm the second of five. Uh, I have an older sister who's four years my senior. And then it's me. I'm the oldest boy. Then my other half brother, and then I have two half sisters that follow me. Uh, I was in a very, I would say, impoverished state growing up uh, in St. Louis. And so we, and when I say we, I'm talking about my mom and I, and then uh, as a teenager, my aunt came to live with us. Okay. Which was very, very great and life-changing for me in so many ways because she's just phenomenal. She's also four years my senior. Um, I grew up in a household where my mom was a nursing student when I was younger. However, because she could not deal with blood when she did her clinicals, she dropped her major and changed it to criminal justice, which is what she ended up getting her degree in criminal justice. <clears throat> While going to school, I read every medical book that she brought home, the medical dictionaries, the nursing books, because uh, I was an avid reader. We were avid readers in, in our household. And so initially I wanted to be a meteorologist, but uh, that all changed when the Atari 2600 came out and I decided, hmm, I'm such a natural at technology I think I want to deal with computers. And so I was a computer prodigy, uh, taking computers apart, putting them back together, all kind of stuff. Uh, at the age of 13, we moved into the projects in St. Louis, uh, downtown St. Louis on the south side. And that's where I met a number of friends that I still have to this day. So powerful to know that you were 
born into a situation with humble beginnings, even that you described it as growing up in poverty and as you're describing the South Side of St. Louis. Many times we look at a person where they are now and we think that it's unachievable because we don't have the background that they have or we didn't have the growing up that they have, but you are living proof that you determine your destiny. It doesn't matter where you come from. It matters what you do and you can still get to where you need to be. So I'd like to thank you so much for sharing a little about your childhood. Um, just moving on a little bit, I understand that you work for EMS. Yes, I, I worked for a paid fire department as well as a private EMS service uh, in the reverse. I started at the EMS service and then I ended up at the fire department. What inspired was, you to go there from IT to fire? It's funny that you mentioned that. So the short story is I was working for a number of Fortune 500 companies for close to 20 years. And the last company that I worked for, uh, it was a uh, it was an international international call center in St. Louis County, uh, mm -hmm. Missouri. There was a promotion that they were doing for management uh, entry level management called Team Lead, and so they were promoting fifteen team leads, five at a time. And so I kept getting number six uh, in the hiring pool. And every time they did the next round, they were like, oh, you're going to get in this one because I don't know what happened the first time. Same thing happened in the second round. I was number six. And then the third time it happened, I was number six again. Like it was just it was really weird because a month later they were firing everybody they had got hired. Oh, wow. Uh, so or promoted. I was in school to get my bachelor's degree in information systems. And so I happened to meet a deacon of the church that I attended because uh, I had switched church churches. I'm sorry. And this gentleman was the chief paramedic for St. Louis City Fire and EMS. And we got to talking and I just told him how I was discouraged about the job and I wanted to do something different. And that's why I was going to school to get my degree because I wanted to get another job. And he said, well, did you ever think about EMS? And I was like, yeah, when 9-11 happened. Now, this is in 2006 when we're having this conversation. Okay. I said, yeah, when 9-11 happened, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I remember exactly where I was, what was going on and everything. And the job that I worked, we were in the flight path to... Lambert International Airport in St. Louis. So you could always see the planes uh, landing every three to five minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember uh, when I came into work that morning, I was a few minutes late and the first tower had got hit, had already uh, been uh, hit. Mm -hmm. And so everybody was standing around the television and I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? I thought it was a movie. And so I remember distinctly what captured my heart and my eye was the fact that not only the buildings collapsing, but everybody that was at ground zero that was clearing the rubble out. They had two long lines of volunteers that were passing buckets of rubble down to clear out ground zero. And I remember wanting to be 
one of those people in the line because I was like, I just want to help. You know, I just felt horrible. And so he said, well, my job is to get more black and brown men and women into fire and EMS. And I said, yeah, because I haven't really seen a lot of black paramedics and all that. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah. So the next week, he showed me this PowerPoint. He explained the levels of EMS. All paramedics are EMTs, but not all EMTs are paramedics. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And so I took a EMT class and the rest is history. Wow. You know, that's amazing. I know that 911 has affected all of us in some way. Um, even myself, you know, I go back to um, Ground Zero every time I go to Manhattan. And it's just a powerful experience. There's something spiritual there. And for you to not be affiliated with it and still have the heart to serve, that says a lot about you, LP. And we thank you for what you've done. And we're so glad that you decided to get into EMS. So as you are, you know, fighting fires and doing things as far as helping others, tell us a little bit about your experience, please, on the front lines, because you were in, um, you were serving during COVID, correct? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Please share. Yeah, I got into EMS at the age of 37. I'm 51 now. So when I retired, that was in, uh, I retired May 21st of 2020. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was so weird because, again, I worked for a paid fire protection district as well as the private EMS service in the greater Metro St. Louis area. The fire department that I worked for, I got to kind of give you a visual. So we have the largest fire protection district in St. Louis County because the city and the county are separate. The county is made up of 82 municipalities and a few of those municipalities are unincorporated. The fire department that I retired from covered 17 of those munis. Okay. And that incorporated three zip codes. We had the highest number of COVID cases and patients in St. Louis County, as well as the state of Missouri when the, when the pandemic hit. So we're getting inundated with COVID patients left and right. Also, my coworkers are starting to get COVID. Mm. So I'm getting, I'm getting it from both sides, patients and coworkers. And like it, it went all the way up the chain because my deputy chief almost died from COVID. And so my wife who has two autoimmune diseases, one affects her lungs specifically. We talked with her doctor and her doctor was like, you know, if she were to get COVID because she gets sick real easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably either will die or will have, and we didn't know about fully the long COVID, but he was saying to her that she would probably have the long COVID. Okay. And, and so in March of 2020, I had her come to Charlotte with her, with our stepdaughter, her youngest daughter. I said, why don't you go to Charlotte for about a week? This thing will probably pass over. So she packed up a week's worth of clothes. They came to Charlotte. And the next week they did the worldwide shutdown and we were like, oh crap, what do we do now? So uh, I decided that, you know what, 
I went back to something my mom told me as a uh, as a kid when I was growing up. She said, you never get attached to a building unless you own it or your name is on it because you will always be an independent contractor working for somebody else. And so I thought about that long and hard and we talked and we planned on moving to Charlotte. We had a five year plan to move to Charlotte after her daughter and my daughter graduated high school. So it was about 2025. 20, and so we moved those plans up because I decided and we decided uh, together that I would just retire from fire and EMS because I'm like, I can always get another job. I don't want to get another wife. So oh, I retired. We, we moved our plans up. We came to Charlotte and we're still here to this day. And so being on the front line was really weird because again, you know, it was a learning curve for everybody. Like all this stuff is brand new for all of us. The lack of, now we didn't have a lack of PPE. That was one of the, great things about my fire department. We didn't have that issue, but everything else we dealt with, which was everything else that everybody else dealt with. So it was a very stressful time because she was here in March. I didn't get here until two months later. So it was just me and the dog <laughs> in St. Louis, <laughs> you know, uh, because they were gone mm -hmm. uh, in Charlotte. And so when I wasn't when I was uh, working, because I worked two jobs, the dog was at the border. And so uh, I'm telling you, it was very stressful. But once I decided to retire, things still was stressful because, again, we're, we're sheltering in place and we're learning this new city. Even though she grew up in Charlotte, uh, she hadn't been here in 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. uh, her family lives here, my in-laws. And so it was a learning curve for everybody, but it's just worked out beautifully. I love being here in Charlotte. Amazing. You know, I just want to give you your flowers and commend you for having the courage to make hard decisions, sacrificing your career for family. Because as you said, you can always get another career, another job, but people are irreplaceable. And I just right. love that spirit about you, that you don't just preach it but you live it. You put your family first. And for them, I thank you. And I thank you for being a role model to us, um, practicing what you preach. Speaking a little bit about COVID, this is being Mental Health Month. How do you correlate the two? Do you see any effects on mental health because of COVID or did you, or did you experience any? Oh, absolutely. Uh, like I said, for me, the isolation, uh, I had to get used to that until I got uh, in town in Charlotte. The the one thing that stood out to me amongst others was the cabin fever that everybody experienced. My wife has worked virtually for a number of years. She works for a Fortune 100 company. And so, and plus she's an introvert. So for her, it was like, oh, you guys need to play catch up because like this is nothing to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but everybody else had cabin fever. People had to get used to working virtually, going to school virtually. People had to get used to being around each other 24 hours a day. That created a lot of problems. It created more domestic violence. Mm -hmm. It created more suicidal ideation and suicides. It started more homicides, the homicide rate increase, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, when you talk about mental health, I'm telling you, COVID 
was obese on mental health because from anxiety, from A to Z, so from anxiety to xenophobia in terms of uh, hate crimes increased, mm-hmm. even though we sheltered in place for over 18 months off and on, a lot of the mental health challenges increased and I don't have the numbers, but I would say quadrupled. As far as EMS is concerned, you know, we always get calls for everything, but those calls just increase exponentially with with COVID because everybody's issues were just magnified even more. It just, it was such a heavy weight on all of us that it created new patients. It created longer term patients. Mm -hmm. That was something that was unexpected. And because we didn't know how long this pandemic was going to go on. And again, the last time we had a pandemic was the Spanish flu. So we're talking 1911. Um, You know, we there's not too many human beings on the planet that was that are still around when that happened. Mm -hmm. So this is all brand new to us. Fortunately for us, the technology that we have has really helped us deal with COVID. Because imagine if we didn't have the technology that we have now and we, we went through this pandemic. I think things would have been a lot worse. I certainly agree with you. You know, when we think about COVID and now that we've kind of been in it and unfortunately it's kind of become a lifestyle, suicide, homicide, domestic violence, anxiety, all of those things affect long term. It's not a short fix. And so we find many times that medically you're trained, right? We know how to do first aid. We know how to do CPR. I say we because obviously I'm a nurse as well. But how do you deal when you get that call that's dealing with a mental health issue? Can you think of a time that you had to respond? Because many times what happens is the person just gets put away or locked up and they're truly not helped. And then of course, they still have the problem. So please help us if you can remember a time to understand from the other side, what it's like receiving that call and arriving on the scene, dealing with someone that's not bleeding out, that hasn't had a heart attack, but their illness you can't see because it's mental. 85% of your 911 calls are medical. And you can break that down into two categories, medical or trauma. And you can even even break that down into two categories for each one of those. Are you stable or unstable? Because if you're stable, we can we call it stay in play. We can kind of hang around a bit. We may not even transport you. Uh, we may do some interventions uh, right there that may resolve the issue. And then we can leave or we may end up transporting or load and go like, hey, we got to do either. We have to do what we got to do right here and go or we just going to sit right here and just work this person uh, vis-a-vis like a cardiac arrest. Like we're not Mm -hmm. loading and going. We're going to work that person right there. So for for me and for EMS to answer your question, I would say that we never we don't always know what the call is because a lot of times it comes out as unknown EMS or it may come out as a sick case. That could be anything. Uh, In regards of mental health, 
I was trained by the best. I put my resume up against anybody in EMS. Anybody. Mm -hmm. There are people that have more credentials than I do. There are people that have less. But again, I put my resume up against anybody because I was trained by the best. And my instructor who trained and continues to train over 4,000 paramedics after being on the front line as a paramedic and worked his way all the way up over a 35-year career, he taught me right from the beginning. You prepare for the worst, you hope for the best, no matter what the call is. You are the eye in the, in the hurricane of that person's EMS emergency. And your patient is not only the person that you're going to be treating. Your patient is the patient, the family members, the caregivers, the, the other first responders, as well as the bystanders that are there. So when I get a call, when, when, when we would get a call and it is, let's say it is a, a, a mental health issue. Where I work, fortunately, uh, let me use the fire department specifically, because where I worked, we had police officers that would come on the scene with us. Most time they arrived before we did. Mm-hmm. I'm going to explain to you real quick what staging means. If there is a a condition that somebody calls 911 for, and we don't either either we don't know what the call is specifically or we know what the call is to say there's a danger. EMS and police are going to roll out. Suited and booted, lights and sirens, we're en route. However, the EMS crew is going to stop three or four blocks shy of going on scene. We'll be two blocks one way, two blocks the other way, and we'll wait for the police to make sure the scene is secure. Mm -hmm. I've, I've staged for a few seconds to a couple of hours. And that person can be shooting out blood like Mount Vesuvius. But if that scene is not secure, the police are not going to call us to come on the scene. And sometimes people have died because the scene wasn't secure yet. But it's scene safety and the EMS crew's life uh, is just as important as the patient. So we're not going to come on the scene until it's secure. With a mental health call where I worked, we had officers, every shift, there was at least one officer that would respond to a mental health call that was crisis intervention trained or CIT. And they had a, a button on their on their uniform that identified them as a CIT officer. That helped so much because we, when we get on the scene for a, a mental health call, we are to do a couple things, do an assessment and a de-escalation. Because, again, everything does not need to be transported. Mm-hmm. So they may be non-compliant with their meds. There may be a situation where they don't have the meds. There might be a situation where they're just having a mental health flare-up, something set them off or what have you. So a lot of times we just we didn't even have to transport. We just had to talk them down for whatever reason. In a situation where we did have to transport, there were times where it was calm. There were times where we actually had to put hands on the per- on the patient, be it soft restraints, be it mechanical restraints, i.e. handcuffs, chemical restraints where I had to in, uh, use a medical intervention and give them a sedative or sedatives. 
And so those are those are situations that you just have to be prepared for because you just never know how it's going to go down. But that's how we dealt with those situations. And every call for me, I always took a woosah moment as I was getting suited and booted, checking on posts because if you're already, you're not going to be able to be focused. And I always remember you are the eye in the hurricane of that person's emergency. Wow. You know, I love the fact that you didn't get um, anxiety or worked up because what you were doing, um, that you went into the conversation already calm. So you were able to be that eye in the storm of their trauma. Speaking about mental health, I see how you deal with it. And I did not know that they had crisis intervention trained EMTs and EMS and paramedics. So that definitely is needed. I know years ago, that was not the case. So certainly that is so valuable so that we can get the help that we need when we need it. All departments don't have that. And I mean, all EMS departments and all police departments don't have that. Fortunately, where I worked in St. Louis County, I believe St. Louis City has, has officers that are CIT trained, but not enough. Mm-hmm. In St. Louis County, I know every department primarily in all 82 municipalities had uh, a CIT officer on each shift. I'm so it we were very important. And, and I know in Denver, they have, uh, they've changed how they do their 911. There's a new three digit number that's surfacing that you will be hearing about. It's called 988. And that's a mental health 911 number that's going to be spread across the nation to be utilized for mental health emergencies. And they've instituted this program to the point where they've spread it like fivefold. And they're having a lot of success with with what they're doing with mental health emergencies. It matters. It matters. And I love the fact that finally mental health is getting awareness. You know, there's been such a stigma associated with mental health that people that need help are ashamed to get the help because of how they'll be looked at or what box they'll be put in. So certainly this is all good stuff. Super exciting. 988. I can't wait until it reaches um, our area. So I understand you. You did that. And, you know, obviously you're a hero in that set, but you then retired. And what do you do now, LP? Well, I became the CEO and co-founder of Penton Pending Consulting Solutions, LLC. Mm-hmm. Our company has been in business one year. We started in March of 2021. It was kind of a weird way how we started. I was helping a buddy of mine with a business idea, and uh, that end up not working out for both of us as partners. And there was another friend of mine who's a nurse who wanted to start a business and she didn't know the technical stuff in terms of doing social media, building websites. And because I have a background in IT, I was like, oh, I can do all that because I did it with the buddy of mine. And so I was like, man, that would be a great business idea to do. You know, you hear the term virtual assistant, Well, that's part of what the company that I started does. Some of it is virtual assistant type work. 
But because of all of my certifications and my license, even though I'm retired, my medic license is still active in the state of Missouri. Okay. I always get pulled in on medical consultations. I always get pulled in as a subject matter expert. I'm always, I feel like the godfather. Every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. <laughs> One of my certifications is as a stop the bleed instructor, trainer. And so I travel across the country teaching stop the bleed uh, using tourniquets, chest seals, hemostatic gauzes, and other things. And what's called an IFAC, which is an acronym for individual first aid kit. This is your advanced first aid kit. It, it doesn't have like your ointments and banded, you know, band-aids and aspirin and all that stuff or whatever. Uh, this is specifically for life-threatening injuries, uh, lethal bleeds. Also, because I deal with public and gun safety, I talk a lot about those issues. So I get pulled in on a lot of those conversations. I've been on, uh, I've probably been on at least 20 podcasts and counting. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, that number is probably too low. Um, one of the things that I get pulled in for really even specifically is uh, youth violence. And so I talk a lot about public and gun safety. I have a working partnership with Professor Griff of the hip hop group, Public Enemy. And a lot of people don't know that Professor Griff is a certified firearms instructor with the NRA and the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. Oh. And so, the and it's three of us. So it's Professor Griff, myself, and a gentleman named Dexter Doc Peggins. Doc was a 25-year military veteran. First two years in the Marine Corps and the last 23, he was in the Army as a combat medic. So we all formed this partnership and we do uh, on Professor Griff's show, we did 12 weekly shows on his Serious Minds channel. I'll send you the link to that stuff. Uh, I, I think it was in the bio that I sent you, but every week we would cover a breaking news story about an act of violent incident. Uh, and so when we talk about active violent incidents, that term is going to be swapped out for active shooter hostile events because that covers everything, it covers firearm issues, that covers explosive issues, that covers anything that's used as a weapon. If I walked in the mall and started knocking people upside the head with a frying pan, and maybe hurt or kill some people, that's going to be considered an act of violent incident. So everything's not about a gun, but, you know, guns always get the the, the greatest amount of media coverage. So okay. we talk about that. Uh, we do a lot of training and information on gun safety. Not We don't get into the politics. We just talk about gun safety, the, the need for gun locks, the need for people to, to utilize firearm training properly, men, women, and children, especially black and brown folks, because you have a right to bear arms. You need to know how to use those arms if you want to acquire them, and we hope that you acquire them legally. That's right. the that's probably the, the most that I get into when it comes to the the firearm issue, but. We talk a lot about that. And so I get pulled into a lot of these conversations and the mental health stuff is to me, it is it, the heart and soul because a lot of the calls that I got as a paramedic 
had to deal with mental health issues. It's not always about a gunshot, a stabbing, or a car crash, or a fire. A lot mm-hmm. of those cause mental health issues too. So we cover a lot of ground, and I still get pulled into those conversations. That is phenomenal. You know, I want to congratulate you on your one-year anniversary for your business. It seems as though you cover so many areas. What a vast territory that you're giving of yourself and serving the community. LP, I know that you do a little bit as far as in your community with sex trafficking, sex events training, uh, domestic violence, missing persons. How does that relate to what you do? As a first responder, we get calls for everything. When 911 calls come out, like I said, 85% of your 911 calls are for medical and fire. Uh, And even at the fire department, 85% of the, if you work for a fire department that has EMTs and paramedics, 85% of the tones that drop are medical issues. So a lot of times the fire crews stay in the firehouse and the ambulance is rolling out. For EMS crews in particular, I would say that when it comes to that, how can I explain it real quick? So when when you have those issues being at the forefront, there's a couple of ways that you approach it. And for me, it's all about what's in your mindset when you deal with those calls. That's a problem because we don't have enough training. We don't get enough training in those four areas. I've been in EMS and fire for since 2006. You know how many times that I've had an in-service? Let's just take uh, any any one of those issues. In 14 years, I've had one in-service on human and sex trafficking, and that was in 2019. Mm. And that was at the fire department that I worked. Imagine how many, imagine how many red flags that I missed mm-hmm. in a sex trafficking, a human trafficking, a domestic violence, a sexually based offense, maybe even a missing person case, because I didn't have all the knowledge that I needed that I got in that 2019 training. Wow, so what are you doing to bring awareness to missing persons, domestic violence, sexual offenses, sex trafficking, and those things that are overlooked, but definitely needing attention? I'm a professional student. And so I'm 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 still an avid reader, so I'm always doing research. And even when I was working at the fire department and the EMS service, I would take CEUs, continuing education units, all the time that weren't required for my job, but they were offered. Uh, I didn't have to have them to maintain my certifications or licenses, but I would take them. And so being retired, I still do. I still do those things. I started a podcast. Mm-hmm discussing traumas because I want to continue to be an advocate and raise awareness, especially in those topics. So the podcast that we started, and when I say we, I'm talking about my company, it's called Trigger Warning Talk Podcast. This podcast was the brainchild of myself, my wife, 
and a couple of other people that I'm going to tell you about right now. We come from three perspectives talking about four issues under the mental health umbrella. So the four issues, and you stated them before, are missing persons, which includes child abductions and runaways, sexually based offenses, domestic violence and human and sex trafficking. The three perspectives that we come from are me, pre-hospital, which is the tech term for EMS. We have a couple of nurses that work in the ER. One is a psychiatric nurse and one has a certification called sexual assault nurse examiner. Now, I'm going to say some things that are indicative of what we do. So the stuff that I'm saying, and this is why we called our podcast Trigger Warning Talk. That's the disclaimer right there. So you already know what I'm getting ready to say is going to be triggering. Mm-hmm. We have these nurses. The one nurse has a sexual assault nurse examiner certification. She does the rape kits for people that come into the ER that are sexually assaulted. The psychiatric nurse deals with the patients uh, in terms of finding resources for their mental health issues from the sexual assault. And then we have a number of rape advocates who deal with the patients who have been assaulted initially all the way through whatever the end point is with that survivor overcomer whether it's dealing with the courts, helping them through the medical issues, finding resources and so on and so forth. The reason that uh, the other reason that I started doing this podcast is there's not enough men and there's not enough or any, I haven't seen any first responder, let alone a male first responder that wants to talk about these issues in a public forum on social media. There's not one podcast other than the one that we started that is tackling these issues with unfiltered conversations. And when I say unfiltered, I'm talking about we're brutally honest and open. Uh, We exchange information and we provide resources. There is no therapy that we do on these interviews. Um, Also, we have safeguards in place. We have tons of resources that we provide all the hotlines from suicide to trafficking to domestic violence, even I threw in AA and Narcotics Anonymous uh, in there. You know, call 911. That's the first resource that's listed in there. We got website links and phone numbers, all kind of stuff in there. The people that we interview, they have safeguards in place too, because sometimes when you're talking about these issues, you get triggered yourself. I've been triggered when people ask me sometimes, when I'm recalling the story about some bad calls that I've been on. And so <laughs> there's some safeguards that we have in place for the people that we're interviewing. For me, my definition of getting back to our humanity, especially in those areas, is we got to have a sense of community. Common plus unity plus dialogue is my definition of community. And mm. you can't have one without the other. And I was I will end your question with this mental health crisis is the world's oldest continuous pandemic that's been around since the beginning of mankind. It's not going anywhere. And the only way we're going to tackle this mental health crisis effectively is to get rid of the three barriers to mental health crisis, the stigmas, the stereotypes, and the taboos that are associated with it. 
if you want to have a great icebreaker question, ask somebody this upon meeting them. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the words mental health crisis? If I had a dollar for every time somebody said either crazy, lunatic, or insane, my bank account would look like Elon Musk or Warren Buffett. Uh, <laughs> we just have to understand that with those stigma stereotypes and taboos, it keeps a lot of us, especially black and brown folks, from seeking the help that we absolutely need. And we got to get out of this denial that mental health is a real thing. So I hope that answers your question. Oh, absolutely. You've definitely given us a wealth of knowledge and insight on what you do and the importance of mental health. LP, you know, I thank you. I thank you for having the courage to do your podcast. I'm excited. Can't wait to hear the trigger warning talk because certainly we all either need a resource or know someone that needs a resource. So this will benefit beyond just the listener. And definitely, um, thank you. Thank you. You know, education is a key. We've heard yes. that all of our life. You know, I hear that you're an avid reader and, you know, that you're continuing with your CEUs and all of that is phenomenal. And honestly, I believe it's almost expected in today's society. But in the beginning yes. of our um podcast, you spoke a little bit about when you were switching churches. You spoke a little bit about the spiritual and how that introduced you to what you had a career in as far as helping and serving others as a medic. Please tell me, do you still have that spiritual connection? And if so, how does that affect mental health? For me, yes. I, I still, now I don't go to the church that I attended where I met my mentor mm -hmm. who got me into the EMS and then fired. However, my spirituality is very important. And so for my mental health, it's something that keeps me grounded mm -hmm. among the other things that I do to stay grounded. Having a great relationship with my wife, having a great relationship with my family. Uh, interacting with people to teach, to dialogue. For me, again, it's about common plus unity plus dialogue equals community. That's going to help us get back to the humanity that we are really lacking. Because if we get back to the humanity, we're going to just, we're going to stop acting like humans. We're going to act more like the spiritual human beings that we are. I'm not talking religion. Indeed. I'm talking about getting back to your humanity because as humans, we can do some ugly crap to each other. Mm -hmm. However, when we get back to our humanity, for me and, and from my point of view, getting back to our humanity you're not going to have all the issues that we have. Even if you live in a utopian society, you're going to have conflicts. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the devastating acts that we do to each other as humans. If we get back to our humanity, a lot of that will cease or be so minimal, it won't be breaking news in a lot of situations. 
So for me, my spirituality helps me be more of an advocate, have have the ability to continue to raise awareness about these things. And that's why I talk so much about public and gun safety. I talk so much about mental health crisis and I do so many things to move the needle. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm just trying to make this ride smoother. Absolutely understood. You know, I just want to bring it home saying that health is threefold. It's spiritual, mental, and physical. Once we make sure that we're healthy on those three levels, as you say, I believe that we'll get back to humanity. It has been such a pleasure having you on Purifying Truths, LP. I know the audience have just enjoyed you. I want you, please, please let us know what you have coming up, future events, and give your social media handles or how can the audience get in touch with you? LP 10K as in kangaroo.com. My digital business card lists all of my contact information, my email address, my uh, office number. It has our social media links on there. And so that digital business card has a couple of links on there. It has a QR uh, code that you can scan. So I don't have to get any paper cards printed out anymore. Um, you can add that information to your contacts uh, if you put that in the web browser in the URL. And uh, also, my website is pentonpending.com, P E N T O N P E N D I N G.com. The podcast is called Trigger Warning Talk Podcast. It is on our YouTube channel, which is Penton Pending. Consultant Solutions LLC. Uh, we're on Anchor. We're on Spotify. We're on pretty much all the major platforms. Uh, uh, Amazon Music. Uh, I did an intro, and we just did our full first interview that was posted this morning uh, with Jessica Johnson, who is a human and sex trafficking expert who was trafficked as a young person. So, uh, as far as the other things that I'm doing, again, I travel across the country teaching Stop the Bleed training, myself and Doc. Uh, we still work with Pe- Professor Griff. We're doing some international things, too, that's coming up. So if you go to our website, uh, it's going to be a great year. I'm telling you, I've only been in business for a year and a couple of months, and the things that we're doing are phenomenal in this short span of time. I do agree. It is phenomenal. Please, 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 LP 10 k.com check out the podcast i cannot wait to hear about jessica and her story it's so so powerful trigger warning talk people tune in you don't want to miss it again lp thank you so much for tuning in joining us today on purifying truths my pleasure anytime and like i said you can reach me anytime on my website and i'm always open for any questions good bad or ugly. And with that, I say peace and blessings be upon you, your family, as well as all your listening audience forevermore. LP out. And thank you for tuning in to Purifying Truths with A-Star. Tune in every Saturday at 9 and noon for exciting new guests who illuminate the world in the various facets of life. You too can connect with A-Star. Facebook and Instagram 
at Facets of a Star, please visit the website www.facetsofastar.com. Shine bright.